With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. In January of 2000, Ian Jacobs traveled alone from the UK to Katow for a diving vacation. On January 15th, the 35-year-old's body was discovered in an above-ground well situated off a dirt road. His neck was broken. The police's theory was that a drunken Ian had been attempting to walk back to his bungalow when he stumbled into the well and died. However, as Ian's friends continued to look into his death, they discovered that Ian had recently loaned money to local Thai men. Local police allegedly told those friends to leave the island as soon as possible. Was this cryptic warning a sign that something nefarious had happened to Ian? Two years later, a man named Mr. Ban founded one of the most popular diving schools in the world. In early February of 2002, Mr. Ban was speaking with three friends on the popular Sari Beach. A lone man approached, wearing a balaclava which covered everything but his eyes. Mr. Ban was shot to death six times at close range. His friends were left stunned, covered in Mr. Ban's blood. Some say it was over a gambling debt. Some say it was an assassination ordered by a local businessman. Welcome to Death Island, a production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Episode 3, The Cases of Ian Jacob and Mr. Ban. I'm Connor Powell, an investigative journalist at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker, Courtney Armstrong, Andrew Arnau, and Jeff Shane.
Tell me about Mr. Bam. Who was he? Uh, when was he killed? What did he operate? He had a big dive school in the middle of Siree Beach. And at the time, his dive school were the only ones that had um, an IDC, an instructor development course. So you could do all of your courses with the other dive schools, but to become a scuba dive instructor, you had to go through bands. Yeah, they're one of the biggest dive schools in the world. But he was an inveterate gambler, and he used to gamble with Mon from Buddha View, which is the other side of the island. And then uh, him and uh, Mon fell out. And the next thing, I was I was at home and my friend came to my house, like covered in brain and blood. And he's like, Jesus Christ, like Mr. Bam has just been assassinated in broad daylight by, by someone wearing a balaclava. Virat Ashanvin, known on Katow as Mr. Ban, was 42 years old when he was gunned down in broad daylight. He was shot while speaking with three friends near Sari Beach. A lone gunman walked right up to Mr. Ban and shot him six times. And in a lot of ways, Mr. Ban's death was the beginning of a new era in Katow. While working on this podcast, our investigation into the island has uncovered dozens of mysterious deaths. But Mr. Ban's appeared more straightforward than most of the other cases we will explore. He was murdered in broad daylight. And was this a business dispute? Was this a gambling dispute? Gambling. Sue Buchanan lived in Thailand when Mr. Ban was murdered. She wrote the book, The Curse of the Turtle, the true story of Thailand's backpacker murders. She says that there was a local man known as, quote, the butcher on the island who was convicted for the murder of Mr. Ban. But many people believe that the butcher was ordered to kill Mr. Ban by a powerful Katao businessman. So the butcher went to prison and um, he's still being paid, like he's been paid to go to prison, but it was that organized it, but left the island and he's never returned to the island. He's never been allowed back to the island after that. And where is he now? I have no idea. But he still maintains. I mean, it sounds like you can be sort of uh, sent away, but you still control your business empire. Yeah, but I mean, that happens quite a lot. The businessman allegedly ordered the murder of Mr. Ban over a gambling dispute, yet still maintained his business interests on the island. Who was this other businessman, and why was he not investigated further by the local police? I want to go back to the Surrey Beach. This isn't some remote island beach on Kotal, right? I mean, Surrey Beach is the main spot, right? The main spot. You couldn't do anything on Surrey Beach without being seen. So it's very possible that there are multiple people who see this murder. It's impossible for them not to have done. That's like murdering someone in Piccadilly Circus or Times Square and saying there's no witnesses. We connected with a former employee of Mr. Ban. For their protection, they've asked that we not reveal their identity, and we've altered their voice. We'll refer to them as Bill going forward. Bill lived on Katow in the late 1990s. He explained that there were a few main families on the island that essentially ran all the businesses. And Mr. Ban was head of one of those families. The people I've talked to who were there in the early days talk about Mr. Ban as the guy who kind of created Kotao as we know it. Is that fair? Yeah, you could say that for sure. I mean, he definitely helped to mold things a certain way on Kotao. His dive school became, I think, the biggest dive school and um, you know, the most influential. Mr. Ban gave Bill an opportunity to work at one of his many businesses and said he would look out for him. Was it a pretty well-run organization? I mean, did he run a good business? He was super sweet. He just said, yep, just give me a cut, you know, 30% or whatever it was that we 
made a deal with him for and we could do whatever we wanted basically we were we were under his protection if you have a fallout with one of the main guys you know you got to watch yourself and so the offer from Mr. Ban was was a blessing because I mean there was no one else who could have actually offered that sort of protection to start something so yeah it was it was a blessing so there was one guy for example that I can't remember his name he was kind of like one of the the mafia guys that that Mr. Ban hired at some point to look over us you know we we called him the hitman <laughs> Was there sort of a handful of people who ran the island at that time? I mean, that made the decisions about what's going on? I mean, this is the thing that sort of blows my mind about this little tiny island. The story that we were told was that there was a guy that was arrested for killing Mr. Ban, but that the person behind it was this other chieftain type guy who ran another dive company. Yeah, that's how the, the rumors went. <laughs> were yeah. you there um, when that happened? Oh, we were, yeah. yeah. So when Mr. Ban gets killed, mm. somebody described it to me as sort of like an earthquake on Kotal in that little community because he had been so powerful. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty shocking moment. I mean, obviously, some real kind of sadness, but also, I guess, a realization of how fragile things were there on the island. After that event, we had to keep our wits about us a little more. We were being a bit more careful. And we were, we were having more troubles, more issues with the mafia and whatnot coming into our bar. And, and, and I mean, we, even though we were paying our dues, we were you know, paying the, the local boys, paying the police as well. You know, you, you, you have to pay everyone out for little bits and pieces. But, but, you know, at the end of the day, there was less kickbacks when we were working with Mr. Bant because he kind of just had that, you know, autonomy there. So with him not there, it felt like, you know, the Wild West kicked in a bit more. People were strutting their stuff a bit more than they could or would beforehand. So we were starting to really feel the pinch because then we'd have a really massive party and it looked great from the outside. People were going, wow, what a great party. You must have made heaps of money. And then we were counting our money and then we'd like, okay, we got to pay this guy here. Let's pay this guy there. And by the time we paid all, all our dues, it's like, oh, we've got enough to go out for dinner. It sounds like Kotal, when you were there, was rapidly developing. It went from just a sort of dive location to a party scene. And at the same time, there's a ton of money, but nobody's actually making money who's doing the business. It sounds like everybody's paying out. Yeah, absolutely. So it just became this kind of vicious circle and you know, it was getting frustrating too. And then one day, one of the mafia guys just was, was being relentless at our bars, kept asking for more and more free drinks. And at one point, and he was just piercing the point, we said, no, nah, come on, man, you, you've had enough. And then he got his gun out and started shooting his gun into the bar. And at that, at that stage, I just realized, hold on, I'd come to this island and, and started here because it was an idyllic place to be in. And then now it's like my life's in danger. So that, that was a, a pivotal point where we decided, you know what, let's, let's head to Australia and take some time out and rethink this through. And, and that was literally the end of our business time there. Because what year was this when you left? Uh, 2004. It's not like 
it's a totally dangerous place where you you know you're lucky to get out alive as they make it out in some reports but definitely there's this kind of you know this old school mafia kind of vibe this attitude of some of the locals of just you know this is our place we run it and and no one's going to tell us what to do or how we're going to do it and if they if they get in the way too much in any way then we'll do whatever we need to do to remove them yeah all the deaths on kotal are sort of shocking for different reasons but mr bands is particularly shocking because in the late 1990s early 2000 he was really the king of kotal and i think we have to sort of put in perspective how important he was to the island that is now Kotal. You know, for a lot of years, Kotal was a, it was a prison. It was sort of an empty island. There really wasn't anything, but it has beautiful scuba diving, incredible reefs, very easy uh, coastal areas to scuba dive off of. And Mr. Ban is really the guy who helped bring scuba diving to Kotal, which transformed the island from really nothing, you know, just a rock out in the middle of the ocean to what it is today, which is a, a massive tourist destination. And he was really the king of Kotal uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. But he also apparently liked to gamble, according to what people have told us. And he was shockingly killed in the sort of middle of paradise in front of lots of witnesses. He was shot and no one seems to have blinked an eye. With the exception of the odd story here and there, it was kept relatively quiet and the tourists just kept on coming. That's Andrew, one of the producers on this podcast. I think one of the things that's really interesting is that Mr. Band's business didn't even suffer. It was transferred, as we understand, to his son and to some other family members. And for a lot of years, Mr. Band's dive school has been one of the biggest, if not the biggest dive school in terms of certifications, not only in Asia, but really in around the world. I mean, that's how big a business it's turned into. Just people kept coming and coming. And obviously, most people who go to Kotal have never heard of Mr. Ban. You know, they don't know how he was killed. But, you know, we've talked to a couple of people who were on the island, who knew about Mr. Ban, who were aware of him. And even though his death was shocking, it didn't shock the island. Nothing changed. I mean, the party really didn't stop. This place, right? It really seems to, you know, get its claws into you. And once it does, these people just really don't want to leave. People love it there. We've had a couple different people describe it as like the wild, wild west. And if we start the modern day Kotal experience sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, Mr. Ban's death is sort of the first big death murder on the island and he was murdered I mean, he was literally assassinated in the street and you know the the progress of the wild wild west just continues you know people keep flooding in people keep coming to dive hotels are built the the culture the industry of the paradise continues to grow it's almost like mr ban's death was a signal to anyone who was involved in kotal that you're pretty much going to be able to get away with whatever you want because if one of the preeminent people on the island can be gunned down in broad daylight on the street, you're going to have an increase in some of these unexplained, mysterious deaths over the course of the next 5, 10, 15 years. And I feel like Mr. Ban's assassination in the middle of the street sets the tone for everything we see coming forward out of what Kotal becomes. Let's stop here for a break. We'll be back in a moment. 
tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. 
So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. In the early 2000s, more incidents were occurring on the island, which the locals and expats both seemed to be turning a blind eye to. Two years prior to Mr. Ban's assassination, there was another questionable death on Katow. Once we really started digging in here, in our research, we came up with a story that we found taking place before any of the other stories. That's Andrew again, a producer on this podcast. Around the time of Mr. Ban's assassination, there was a backpacker who was found dead, stuffed into a cement pipe in the ground. And every person who was interviewed about what happened said the same thing. He probably went to go pee and fell in. So Ian Jacobs was a traveler who came from the UK. He went to Thailand for vacation, for diving. You know, that's that's a time when like hardcore divers who just wanted a diving vacation were coming to Koh Tao around 2000. And the official sort of story is, well, he fell into this well and that's how he died. But that's not really what other people have described. We spoke with one of Ian's friends from college, Mick Locke. My name is Michael Locke. I'm a British citizen. I'm a friend of, of Ian Jacobs who, who died on Kotao. Tell me about Ian. Tell me about how you knew him. Tell me about who he was as a person. We met when we were at uh, Bristol Polytechnic. So when we were 18 years old, we hit it off. We shared a love of football, of music. We went on a few travels together. He had a lot of friends, very much loved, I have to say. You know, he was very amusing, very charming, a lot of fun. Yeah, he was a really fun guy. And I knew him until he died. We were very close friends until until he went to Koh Tao in, in 2000 when he was 35. How did you guys end up going to, to Thailand? We didn't go together. He went to Thailand. I went to India. We both hatched a plan to go traveling after the millennium. We worked together on the millennium evening. We, there was a big party in Bristol organized by a friend of ours in the, in the main square in Bristol with live music and everything. And our friend asked us to do a, a food stall, a food bar, and got together. We rented a burger van. We sold food all night. And with the money we pocketed on that very auspicious night, the millennium night, we decided to go traveling. He went to Thailand. I went to India. I was more into India. He, he wanted to go and do a, a diving course uh, in Koh Tao. Had he been scuba so diving before? He had been there once before. He'd been to a wedding in Thailand. A friend of a friend got married the year before. So he'd gone out there and they'd been to Koh Tao and done a, a basic diving course, I think. And then he fell in love with the place and decided he wants to go back and get his, his PADI certificates. PADI stands for the Professional Association of Diving Instructors. They train and certify scuba divers all around the world. You have to be a very strong swimmer to get a certification. And how did you hear about his death? Yeah. So I left to go to India about a week after he'd gone to Thailand. And I was catching a bus up to the Himalayas. I checked my emails and I had an email from a, a mutual friend of ours in, in England who just told me he was he was dead. Simple as that. I was completely dumbfounded, completely shocked, you know, in a state of, it wasn't really sadness, it was shock, you know. 
absolute disbelief. I gleaned more information and I found out he was being cremated in about a week's time in Bangkok. So I, I decided that I was going to get on a plane and go to Bangkok and go to his cremation. What did you hear was the cause of death? But we were told he had died from a blow to the head, but he was found at the bottom of a well. And I thought, okay, is it possible for someone to have stumbled, hit their head and fallen in the well and drowned? It's a little hard to make out, but Mick is saying, is it possible for someone to have stumbled along, hit their head and fell into a well and drowned? I was under the impression that he didn't die from drowning. Me, his friends in England, had no doubt straight away. There was never a moment's doubt that he was murdered. Um, I don't think even crossed our mind that it was accidental. We suspected foul play from, from the beginning. Why did you suspect <laughs> that from the beginning? I can't remember why, but there was just this consensus amongst that something was not right. And that is why after I went to the cremation in Bangkok, I decided to go to Koh Tao. And I remember how I was thinking of it in my head. I wanted to prove to myself that he couldn't have fallen into the well and hit his head on the way down. And that was my purpose of going to Koh Tao. How quickly did you get to Koh Tao after his death? It must have been within two weeks. I think the, the cremation was probably a week after his death. And then I went straight from the cremation down to Koh Tao. So yeah, within two weeks, I think I was there. I spoke to there, all of whom thought there was something suspicious. I went to the police. I made an excuse to go to the police. I wanted to have an excuse to go to them. So my excuse to going to the police was I wanted his possessions because I knew he'd had money on him because you don't go traveling without money. So I asked the police what had happened to all his money. They told me they'd taken his money to pay for transportation of his body back to the mainland. When police told Mick how they used Ian's money, his suspicions were raised. But they also had questions about the well that Ian supposedly fell into. I went to the well, and the aperture of the well was so small, if you walked along and tripped over its rim, you would fall over the well. You wouldn't fall down it. There was just no way that one could stumble and fall into the well. So my suspicions were, you know, confirmed, I suppose. The well is the big question here. Thai police on Katow reported that Ian was drunk and looking for a place to urinate. Allegedly, he had fallen into a well, hit his head on the way down, and drowned. I'd say the well was a few feet across, three feet. It wasn't big enough to just fall in unless someone pushed you in it. From what Mick saw, there was no way an adult human could fall down the well on their own. He returned to his hotel and came back the next day to take photos of the well, which he said a body would have to be folded into to fit into. I went back to take photos and the well had been bulldozed over. There were just mounds of sand everywhere. That obviously made me even more suspicious. Mick returned to the Katow police station a second time. After my first visit to the police, well, the police told me to come back in a few days' time. There, when the chief of police from Copangang, the neighbouring island, would be there. On my return the second time, the, the chief of police from Copangang, he said there's a ferry leaving in the morning and that I should be on it. The police officer <laughs> essentially... Well, I just want to be clear, because the police officer essentially threatened you to get off the island. Yes, yes, absolutely, 100%. That's what he did. Did you have a feeling that there was dodginess sort of around the police at that point, or did that come out of the blue? When that happened, were you stunned? I mean, what what, what was your thought process? No, I mean, because we all assumed it was a murder, and we knew the police were saying it was an accident, I knew that there was a cover-up 
by the police even at that point and the more i looked at the police reports the more my my feeling about that is reinforced we'll get back to the police reports but remember the story that the katow police told about ian's death hinged on the fact that he was found at the bottom of a well we all believe the story that he was found in a well for 14 years until i had conversations with susan buchanan she told me that he wasn't found at the bottom of a well at all and she says he was found inside a piece of concrete pipe. Now it's the same sort of piping they use for wells. They bury concrete pipes into the ground to make the wells, but this was just a bit of concrete pipe. And the the earth inside was at ground level and he was just um, inside one of those. If what Sue told Mick was true, then Ian was found in a piece of concrete pipe that was standing up, not even installed in the ground yet. If the story told by Katow police was fiction, what happened to Ian? Mick has some thoughts. Like, what else could have happened? I mean, my feeling is that if, for example, if some Thai guy was hitting on a a Western girl and she wasn't enjoying it, it, even if he didn't know her, he's the sort of guy that would give her and tell the Thai guy to get off. That was the sort of guy he was when he was drunk. Yeah. And that is my feeling that possibly that would have happened. He wasn't, like, aggressive, you know, but he would be protective. He was leery, but in a nice way. But if someone did something that he didn't agree with, he would make his feelings clear. You know, he wouldn't go looking for fight. He never, he never had a fight in his life. But at the same time, he was um, outspoken enough to stick up for people, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't stand for any shit. What we've heard is that, like, you know, essentially, there's a history of violence on the island. People are scared and don't really want to disrupt their own yeah. personal paradise. Exactly. Um, and it's just sort of looked the other way as long as it doesn't happen to me. Absolutely. I did speak to some people in, in, in the guest house that I stayed at, which I same guest out he'd stayed at. And I do remember people saying, oh, no, that they thought it was suspicious. They thought he was murdered. But that's it. Nobody said anything about who might have done it or anything like that. Could Ian have stuck up for someone in the bar that led to him being murdered? Connor speaks to Sue Buchanan about what she thinks of the theory. And is that something that could get you killed? Oh, hell yeah. You can look at someone in Thailand the wrong way and it will get you killed. I mean, yeah, it doesn't take much. Mick went back to the police reports to try and find answers about Ian's death. Did you see two different autopsies, police reports? I've got the police reports in front of me. Yeah, so this is the mystery of the whole thing. There was an autopsy which took part place in Koh Phangan, the island next to Koh Tao, which says he died from drowning and that he was completely disfigured from having spent three days in the well before the body was found. You know, there's a big story, the police story is about him having had ropes tied to him to be pulled out of a four-meter-deep well. And then there's another autopsy from Bangkok which makes no mention of his being in water at all. You think that would be a fairly obvious thing. And the autopsy from Bangkok says he died from a blow to the head. So there's basically the autopsies say different things. Which probably means the one in Bangkok with some distance, some space, and hopefully more professional. Yes, is probably the one more true. Be, absolutely. Oh, hold on, here it is. Cause of death. This is the Bangkok one, bleeding in the brain due to severe impact at the head. Now, the Copangang autopsy does mention scratches um, on the head, but says that he died from drowning. And you said that um, his mother always believed that he was murdered, but you didn't find that out till years later. Did, did his, the family ever said to you so, why they had that suspicion? So I never met his mother. 
um, after Ian's death, the word I was getting was that the family believed the official police story and didn't want anything made of it. This is why so much time passed before gone public with this, because we believe that the family just wanted to lay it to rest. It was only about five years ago I finally met his mother. She lives in Scotland. I was passing, so I went to see her one day. And I didn't want to be the person that said to his mother, you're, we think your Ian was murdered. You know, if, if you're sitting there in your old age, believing your son met an accidental death, you probably don't want to be someone to go along and tell you that he was murdered. You know, sure. I wasn't going to be the person that upset her like that. So anyway, I went and saw her. We got chatting slowly. Eventually, I said, what do you think happened? And she just said straight up, oh, he was murdered. And then it was like, oh, OK, so I don't need to be secretive about it anymore. So we had a long chat. Uh, she said she'd read the police reports, the ones that I've got here sat in front of me. And she said they just didn't add them. And she mentioned the witness reports. And again, if you read the witness reports, they are suspicious. They're not eyewitnesses. One is from a doctor, one's from the village head, one is from the taxi driver who met Ian on the night he died. But they all sort of say, it's believed the cause of death was most likely because the tourist was on his way to urinate and happened to fall down the well. And then another one, it's believed that the cause of death was that the man was drunk and on his way to urinate, the edge of the well was low, the man didn't notice it and happened to fall down the well. Third one, the witness believed that the cause of death was because the tourist was on his way to urinate, but unfortunately happened to fall down the well. It doesn't add up. They will say exactly the same thing, slightly different words, you know. One of the things that um, we've come across is that uh, there's an emphasis of the Thai police to always blame the person who dies on Kotal, that the deaths is a result of their own action. And I think that you see that really clear in these witness statements, right? He was drunk. The, the, he he sure. fell down he the was well. drunk. He, yeah, he did this yeah. to himself, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Even one says it's unlikely that he was attacked since the area had no trace of fighting. Now, if you really think someone's fallen into a well, why do you even need to say that? I mean, this is yeah. long before the island has this reputation. I can understand them saying that today. This but is, in 2000, this is, this is years yeah. before anyone has any bad feelings about Kotal. But, of course, they put that in there because they're trying to deflect from what probably happened. Absolutely. Is there any, yeah, anything else you want to add? As I say, the, 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 the slam dunk, let's say, is, is what Susan says. You know, the fact that he wasn't even found in a well. You can analyse the police reports as much as you want. You can go over them with a fine tooth comb. But when you hear what Suzanne says, if she's telling the truth, I've got no reason to disbelieve her, then you might as well just tear up the police reports because they all refer to a man who was found at the bottom of a well in water. And if you believe Susan, there was no well, there was no water. Now, whether they, the police found his body and then threw it in the well because I mean they go into good detail about the depth of the well and how they got the body out of the well and how the body looked because it had been in the well for so long yeah I mean I, this is a continuing pattern of what you're describing this isn't like a one-off thing this is something we keep hearing time and time and time again which is police essentially blaming the the victim for their death and then course, also the police... at the same time putting in information that doesn't make any logical sense of to how somebody dies yeah, the police are acting like they're untouchable, that they can make up any story, and then nothing will come back to the police. Let's stop here for another break. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. 
Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with Cheap Caribbean Vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Since Thai authorities on Katao considered Ian's death an accident, there was never a proper investigation. But there are lots of questions. Why do all the witness statements sound so eerily similar, as if coordinated? How would any of them know that Ian was urinating when he fell into the well? Connor debriefed with Andrew after the interview with Mick. 
no questions asked, no investigation. Let's not get to the bottom of this. And so, you know, in early 2000, you've got both of these deaths with Mr. Bam and Ian Jacobs. And they're both, you know, I think they set that signal. They set that sort of anything will go on this island because the only thing that's important is keeping tourists coming here, keeping the money flowing, keeping the divers coming, keeping the people going to resorts. And, you know, nobody on Koh Tao, really no one in Thailand was interested in even asking questions about Ian Jacobs. And, you know, same with Mr. Van. And we don't have much on these because it's been 22 years since it happened. However, the information that we can gather from these is stage setting. It's setting the precedent for strange and mysterious deaths with no explanations given at all. And when any explanation is given, the explanation given by Thai authorities are contradictory as early as 2000. We see major differences between the autopsy reports done by the mainland police in Bangkok versus what the Katao police report says. So which one is the truth? And the eyewitness statements, which may have been fabricated, show a clear pattern of blaming the victim and covering up the true cause of death. Jonathan Samuels is a reporter for Sky News. He has covered some of the deaths and crimes in Katao. Tourism is so important to Thailand, I mean, hugely important. And I think the last thing the Thai government want are these sort of stories going around the world, and they will do almost anything it takes to make sure they don't, and to try and sort of wrap things up um, in, in such a way that, that uh, it doesn't make the Thais be put up for this, because it would look so bad for, for Thailand. It's about protecting their tourism industry and the huge amount of money it brings in. The mysterious deaths of Mr. Ban and Ian Jacobs and the lack of proper investigations into those deaths sets the stage for the next 20 years. It's a refrain that will become more and more pronounced over the years. Someone dies, Thai authorities dismiss it as an accident and blame the victim or find a scapegoat to cover it up. And this is just the start of it. And I think that lack of governance, that lack of professionalism, that hint of suspicion of corruption amongst the police, when you couple that with young people doing things to excess, experimenting, acting in a way that perhaps they wouldn't act if they were at home, then those two things coming together can be disastrous. If you have any information about Ian Jacobs or Mr. Ban, please contact us at producers at kt-studios.com. For more information and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at kt underscore studios. Death Island is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Connor Powell, Andrew Arnau, Jeff Shane, Chris Kakaro, Gabriel Castillo, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Music by Vanacore Music. Death Island is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.